This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Crime Classics is a United States radio docudrama which aired over CBS. It was created, produced, and directed by radio actor-director Elliot Lewis. The program was a historical true crime series examining crimes and murders from the past. It grew out of Lewis's personal interest in famous murder cases and took a documentary-like approach to the subject, carefully recreating the facts, personages, and feel of the time period. Comparatively, little dramatic license was taken with the facts and events, but the tragedy was leavened with humor, expressed largely through the narration. The cases range from famous assassinations of Abraham Lincoln, Leon Trotsky, and Julius Caesar, and the lives and often deaths of the likes of Caesar Borgia and Blackbeard to more obscure cases such as Bathsheba Spooner, who killed her husband, Joshua Spooner, in 1778, and became the first woman tried and executed in America. Tonight, we hear the case of Colonel James Fisk. For your enjoyment, Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum presents from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Good evening. This is Mr. Snell, Secretary. Oh, sure. Hi. I was unable to reach Mr. Snell before he left for the West Coast, but he asked me to outline the case to you and hoped you'd follow him out there. It's quite serious. Oh? What is it? Our company has been carrying the policies on a line of pleasure boats for a West Coast sales agency, the Aerocraft Cruisers. Within the past two weeks, three of them have sunk with no survivors. Bad risks. Yes. There's a liability clause. Next of kin in each case is bringing suit for nearly a million dollars. Edmund O'Brien in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Grand East Life and Liability Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during assignment to Millard Snell of your legal department on the investigation of the Arrowcraft matter. Expense account item one, $275 air travel Hartford to Los Angeles and rented car travel from Los Angeles to Newport Beach and... The heart of the trouble. Uh, 
Snell? Bill, it's Snell. Who is it? It's Dollar. Dollar? Hurry up. Get aboard. The watcher. She's wet tonight. Hey, give me your arm. Come on. Thanks. Didn't think you were going to make it. You talked to your secretary? Yes, that was yesterday from Chicago. Well, I didn't know where you were until I called her from the Los Angeles airport a couple of hours ago. And when I got here, your hotel told me you'd just left charter a boat. What's up? Myers, how long will it be? Uh, Robert should be here any minute, Mr. Snell. Couldn't leave without him. Uh, if you can hurry him up anyway, do it. Come on in the cabin, Dollar. Out of this foul night air. Oh. I thought it was bad sometimes in Hartford. Another cruise has been reported, Dollar. An aircraft? Yes. Reported by a private plane between here and Catalina Island. That's 30 miles offshore. The Coast Guard been notified? Yes, but candidly, I hope we see it before they do. Find out what we insured. If we can find it in this fog. Find it? You mean this one is still afloat? Before dark, yes. Barely afloat. Robert, hurry, get aboard. Ah, there he is. The navigator we've been waiting for. I hope he's sober. Tell me, what have you learned so far? What makes them sink? I don't know. The sales agent, Fred Crocker. You'll meet him. Swears by aircraft. Says they're one of the best holes afloat. Ah, but the fact remains they've been sinking. Uh-huh, and a tragic fact, too. The loss of life so far has been hard. Three 28-foot boats, 11 fatalities. No trace of the cruisers, even. But a life ring or two. Must have been deep water, then. What about bodies? Seven have been recovered and four still missing. Ah, we're getting started. It was 10 p.m. when we left the quiet resort village, and it was dawn when we saw in the fog what we had been unable to find during a whole night of searching. The arrow craft, without sign of life, was almost entirely awash, bowed down in the channel swell. That's close enough, Myers. Right. We don't want to nudge her. She's allowed to roll over. Well, here we are, but there's nothing we can do about her. How she stays up is beyond me. Any chance of towing it in? Not in that shape. Give her any weight. Just take more water and go down. Can you put me aboard? If you want to go, I can put you there, but I don't know what your weight is going to do. She's ready to roll. What do you think, Robert? Oh, we'll put him over the stern. That shouldn't upset her. You'd better get some of those clothes off, Dollar, while we swing around. All right. You think it's worth it? You're going aboard? Worth it? I'm not going for a night like that without having a look at it. Gives me the creeps. The thing of wash like that. Looks dead. Yeah. Too dead. Why isn't there anyone aboard? Why isn't somebody hanging onto the side? Okay, Dollar, we'll move into it now. I'm ready. To get back there on the transom. That's it. Right there. I'll swing you right into it. Right. There you are. Go ahead. Okay. Hey, get off the go. And stay a midship. Look at either side. You'll roll. I'm all right. Anything there? Yeah. Yeah, there's something here. There's a girl in the cabin. Her body floated face down in the flooded cabin, held in there by the narrowness of the passageway. After an unpleasant and ticklish 15 minutes, 
She was lifted aboard the other boat by three suddenly silent men. There was little else I could do on the derelict but memorize the name and address on the certificate of ownership. So I left it and followed the girl. I didn't bargain for this, Dollar. It doesn't bother me to read about 11 of them, but... But this girl... Why, she can't be over 18. Yeah, I noticed. You know, if it was a guy, it wouldn't hit so hard. Like this. Beautiful. have you radioed in about this? I waited to find out whether you want to stand by the boat or not. No, we'll start right back. Get word to the police. Ask them to meet us. I think it's a case for them. The boat's registered to a Chester McNeil, Newport Beach address. McNeil, Newport Beach. Sir. McNeil, yes, all right. You want to get us started, Robert? Right. What'd you find, Dollar? Come here, look at this. See? Behind her ear. You see the bruise? Yeah. yeah. I noticed it when I was getting her out of the cabin. She'd been slugged? She could have been. There's long black hair. You see here? The water's ruined most of it, but there's still part of the braid. It could have been a hard blow, one that might have killed a man, but her braid might have softened it. I'm looking for an answer to why she was on that boat, alone and dead. It was an answer I never did actually find and prove, because in the final analysis, the death of this beautiful, dark-haired girl was no more important than any of the rest of them. She was taken to the county morgue, and after making my formal statement to the police and giving them my informal theories, I followed her there. Well, I take it that the deceased is not a personal friend of yours. That's right, Dr. Sane. I'm an insurance investigator. I'm in Southern California because a number of people have died in the sinkings of some insured pleasure boats. Oh, yes. The aircraft? Yes. And the death of this girl has become important to me. What's her name? Caruso, Antonia Caruso. She was identified by her mother. Antonia. Are you planning an autopsy? Why do you ask? I wonder if you noticed a bruise behind her right ear. Yes, I reported it. You're an observant fellow. Dr. Sane, you must have examined some of the other bodies from these sinkings. Were there any indications of violence on them? If there were, I was unable to discover them. The period of immersion in other cases, you must understand, was much longer than in the Caruso case. Water makes it difficult. Why do you ask? On well, the rest of the sinkings, the boats themselves have been blamed. But after today, it seems to me there's a possibility that something else has caused them, at least this one. The contusions? Yes. There were two other people on that boat, the owner, Chester McNeil, and his father. But the girl's body was the only one aboard. Why? Uh, I didn't know the particulars. I think the girl wore braids, Doctor. If she did... Could she have survived a blow that would have killed the two men? Protection? Um, location of the wound would bear you out behind the ear. Could she have been knocked unconscious and thrown overboard and then recovered enough to get back on? Could this have happened to the girl? Are you suggesting a homicide, Mr. Dollar? I'm not sure. Then I'm not sure why perfectly good boats start sinking without survivors, either. They have to make autopsy examination to determine the degree of concussion. Well, that's why I asked. Are you going to perform one? In the state of California, Mr. Dollar, except in cases of unquestionable criminal acts, autopsy is allowed upon only permission of the next of kin. Now, this contusion, well, it could have been sustained so many ways. Yes, I know, I know. As a matter of fact, arrangements have already been made to move the body into a private establishment. Oh. 
Um, could you give me her mother's address? Why, yes, I suppose so. But I'd be doing no more than saving you a search of the phone book. What is it you want? Mrs. Caruso, I'm the man that found your daughter. Oh. Then why have you come here? You shouldn't know my grief. I do, Mrs. Caruso, but I'd like to talk with you if I could. What is there to say? I don't want to see you. There is no room for sympathy. I didn't know anything about your daughter, but I'd like to. I'd, I'd like to hear about her. Why do you do this? Because... Because I don't think her death was accidental. Oh, go away. Why do you say this? My girl, she never did a no wrong. I didn't mean that, Mrs. Crusoe. Please, may I come in? All right. In my house. I'm sorry. They're not cared for. There have been so many things to do. Oh, I won't stay long. She was a good girl. She was going to marry Chester. His father was with them. She was going to marry Chester. Oh, we hoped it so much, Antonia and me, that it would be a good marriage. Mrs. Caruso. We always dreamed. We were good people, only poor. We give everything so Antonia will be better. She is so beautiful. She was going to marry Chester. I'm sorry to bother you at a time like this, I am. Now, she's gone. I saw her. I saw her, too. And I want to learn why she's gone. Now, Mrs. Caruso, is there any reason that you can think of why there should have been trouble on this trip in the McNeil boat? Oh, no. We go many times. They love the boat. They go many times, always with his father to take care of them. He loves her, too. My daughter, he called her. She was going to marry his suggestion. Be so happy. Please, Mrs. Oh, my Antonia. Antonia. Please, go. You know my grief. Leave my house. Leave my house. I left her house and drove back to Millard Snell's hotel. It was 7 p.m. and I hoped we could get to Crocker, the West Coast agent for Arrowcraft, before the night was out. But I found Snell white-faced when I opened the door and too anxious to show me the front page of the evening paper. I didn't know where to find you, Dollar. For what? And you haven't heard. Fred Crocker, the aircraft agent. He was killed this afternoon. How? Oh. It says traffic. Hit and run victim. But I don't believe it. Look at this. Violence in another form preceded the tragedy, the story said. Crocker's sales office was entered earlier today in a bold daylight strike. The interior was wrecked, 
but whether or not the entry was for purposes of theft has not been ascertained. The writer didn't make any definite statements, but reading between the lines, you knew that he was exploring the possibility that revenge was at the bottom of both the violence and the tragedy, that those who had lost family or friends in the Arrowcraft sinking had wrecked Crocker's office and then killed him. But remembering the bruise behind the Caruso girl's ear, I didn't believe that either. And now, with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Snell and I drove out to what had been Crocker's sales office. A sheriff's deputy met us outside and took us in. Give me some light if... Uh... Oh, there's a switch. Well, not as bad as it could be. At least the drawers aren't dumped. These are from a file cabinet. We'll start here. What are you looking for? Crocker's sales records. Sales records? The names and addresses of all the people who bought arrowcrafts from him. I don't think we'll find it. I don't get you. We've got a theory. That those boats didn't just sink, that they were boarded, that the people who've been lost were slugged before they were drowned, and that the boats were scuttled. What do you think of it? Why would anybody set out to wreck aircraft? Well, that I don't know. Probably because they're linked to something important. Maybe something or somebody is on an aircraft, and somebody else doesn't know which one. Here's the sales folder, Dollar. It's empty, all right. Here it is. That gives them the location of every aircraft between here and San Diego. Sheriff, nobody has said where Crocker was when this place was entered. They don't know yet. You got a theory? Yeah. That he was here. Yeah, that after the list of names and addresses was taken, he was dragged out of here and killed with a car for the same reason the others have been killed. Because alive, they might have been identifying witnesses. Well, they say everybody's got a right to his own opinion. But that's too crazy for me. Well, I don't blame you. It's too crazy for anybody. Maybe so crazy it'll never be cleared up. Expense account item two, $112 cost of entertainment that same night for as many members of the press as I could get hold of. They listened to my theory, agreed that it was unbelievable, but worth printing on the grounds of sensationalism. The story made the morning editions, most of the papers slanting it towards warning the aircraft owners listed in Crocker's stolen records. But it didn't look so unbelievable because it had a companion piece. A night watchman at one of the yacht clubs lay near death from gunshot wounds after apprehending a prowler aboard an aircraft. The prowler was being held at the county jail. Who is this guy, Sergeant? Jerry LaBarber is the name he uses. We put a search on him last night. It's one of those things you call a known hoodlum because nobody's been able to pin much on him. Known to the police in Las Vegas, L.A., and San Diego, to name a few. There he is. I hope you had better luck with him than we did. If you meant that, you'd leave me alone with him for the rest of the day. Sorry. Off the bunk, LaBarber. You got a visitor. On your feet. Stand up. Okay, hero. You got me up. What's the matter with you? What's missing, LaBarber? What? What's lost? What were you looking for on the arrow craft? 
Come on, who are you working for? I'm out of work. Why don't you save your breath? How many of the other killings were you mixed up in? What other killings? I get into a scrape with an eager night watchman, and now you talk about sending another killings on me. What is this? Who are you working for? I'm out of work. You could do yourself some good, you know. I'm not complaining, am I? You were off to a pretty good start. Even if that watchman lives, you're going to be tried for assault with intent to kill. That's a long rap. You might make it shorter by using your head. Is that a promise? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. You're a sucker, LaBarba. But this is a promise. I'm going to see you charged for Crocker's murder. Who's Crocker? And I'm going into the business of searching arrowcrafts myself. Don't be stupid. Why not put the blame where it belongs? Blame? For what? Okay, Sergeant, I've had enough. So have I. I wonder how long it takes to get that way. For what? I'd buy and sell you, you cheap tin star. Well, what do you think? He's covering for somebody, isn't he? I think you're right. You shouldn't have tipped your hand so much about searching the boat. Word's going to get out. Out of a jail cell? And he called for a lawyer, one of the hot men for my life. We can refuse him visitors, but not a private session with a criminal who happens to be his lawyer. Oh, I'd like to hear that one. You should. It's going to put a bigger bullseye on your back than that newspaper story did. There was no trouble that day and no progress. We had time to contact two Arrowcraft owners that afternoon and went aboard their boats. Nothing came of it but a feeling of frustration because we didn't know what we were looking for, how large a small it was, whether to empty fire extinguishers or pick and open batteries. That night the news broke that the night watchman had died of his wounds. Snell and I made an attempt at eating dinner and took a bottle of cognac to my room to see what it could do. The phone call came at 9.30. Hello? Hello? Well, this is Dollar speaking. Who's this? I'm in a phone booth, so don't bother trying to trace this call. It's about the boat trouble. All right. What about it? Not over the phone. You have to come up here. Where do I meet you? I've got to be careful. You'll know why when I talk to you. You have to come alone. What else? There's a place called Leeds Bar. It's on Long Beach Boulevard, three blocks up from the beach. You'll see the sign. I'll find it. You can make it in an hour. But you've got to be alone. I will be. All right. Quarter of eleven. What was that? Some girl says she wants to talk about the Arrowcraft. Wants me to meet her in Long Beach. Don't be ridiculous. You're not going. Somebody has to do something. Nothing as foolhardy as this. We've been expecting them to make a move. Here it is. You don't for a minute think she's telling the truth. I won't find out sitting here swilling brandy with you. I wasted ten minutes in Newport circling through alleys and side streets to shake any tail that might have been put on me and then I headed up the coast highway at exactly 10.45 I was ordering a drink in Leeds Bar it arrived simultaneously with a metallic nudge in the ribs from a man who had taken the stool on my right drink it, Dollar we've got to go I was supposed to get a message from a girl. You've had it. Come on, drink up. All right. Now leave. I'll meet you outside the door. Do I get to talk with this girl? She's outside. Okay. Hello. 
Here's the car. Now, you get in front of her. I'll get in back. Where to now? Just a little way. You weren't followed? I made it a point not to be. Well, you wanted to talk. Yeah, I do. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I don't think I care anymore. It's been like I killed all those people who've died. Take it easy, honey. You mean their deaths are your fault? Sort of, yeah. I mean, I could have stopped it, but I was afraid to because one of his men would have killed me. And I thought he'd stop me for this. Hey, who do you mean? Hey, watch what you're going. You better stop when. This is as good a place as any. Yeah. I didn't go to the police because I had a record. And he's so powerful, he, he could have made it look like blackmail and it wouldn't have gone any farther. Who is so powerful? George Masterson. George Masterson? Who's he? Oh, he seems like a businessman. He owns a line of furniture stores. I've known him for three years. It was one of those things where, well, every once in a while, I'd learned something about him. Well, I finally understood what he really was, and he knew I did. What kind of payment do you expect for what you're telling me? Dollar. I hadn't thought of money. I swear I hadn't. All right. Go ahead. Masterson's as far outside the law as you can get. Narcotics, jewels and furs, aliens, Mexican gold, anything. He runs the West Coast for a combination that has headquarters in Italy. Who knows this? I do. And I wrote it all down. Please to prove it. Like the names he uses for all his bank accounts to evade income tax. All of it. That's what he's been looking for on his boat. Well, and he was afraid. Running us down was the only way I could think of to protect myself. He was afraid of me. Because I knew so much about him. He was going to have me killed. We were in Mexico when I told him. Ensenada. When he didn't believe me, I showed him a copy. I told him I'd hidden the original on a boat I'd visited. And that if he killed me, I had a way of letting the police know which one. Which one is it? I was lying to him. I didn't put it on a boat. I was lying. Arrowcraft was only a name I remembered. When he asked me, I said Arrowcraft. You mean there's nothing on those boats and 16 people have died? I know. I, I know I was wrong. I should have. Oh, when you did, you only think of yourself. Don't go in, honey. You'll be all right. This paper you say you wrote, where is it? I have it here. I want you to take it. All right, get out, Tyler. I want to take her home. I didn't fully believe her until I had finished reading her denunciation of George Masterson after they'd left me. But by the end of it, I knew that in my hands was the hottest document in California. I knew that hundreds of rotten lives could be crumbled and millions of dollars in criminal traffic could be stopped. And it did away with the possibility of any suit against Arrowcraft or your company. But it wasn't enough. I should have gone to the authorities with it then. Instead, I took a room for the night and mailed it to the FBI in the morning. Then I went after Masterson. I found him in a plush office in one of his furniture stores. Here. Just a moment, sir. You can't go in. What's the meaning of this? You're announced before you get in here. Not this morning, Masterson. I'm sorry, sir. Get somebody to throw this man out. What's the matter with you? Who are you? Johnny Dollar, working on the Arrowcraft sinkings. Gwen 
Thomas. I've read her statement. I don't know what you're talking about. About 16 deaths. The FBI can have you for the rest. But I want you for those 16 deaths. Get away from me. Get away from you. Stay away from me. Get up. Listen to me. I was concerned, that was it. The girl was placed under protective custody by the FBI and the district attorney, who had worked out 75 counts on Masterson's indictment before I left. It's too bad that all of the next of kin of the 16 dead can't sit in the jury box. Expense account item three, same as item one. Expense account total, $940.20. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd and David Ellis with music composed and conducted by Leif Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen starring in the Columbia Pictures production 7-Eleven Ocean Drive. Featured in tonight's cast were Gene Bates, Howard McNear, Clayton Post, Harry Bartell, Hi Averback, John McIntyre, and Jeanette Nolan. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Delvire. The makers of Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum invite you to join us next week at this same time when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien returns in another adventure of Yours Truly, Johnny Depp. Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern and special guest Mickey Rooney next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Archie at Duffy's Tavern to welcome Mickey Rooney to the bar. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Day. Brought to you by Palmolive Soap and Colgate Dental Cream. Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. 
Dennis Day Show with Barbara Eiler, B. Benaderet, Dink Trout, George Dooning in the orchestra, and yours truly, Vern Smith, is written by Frank Galen and stars our popular young singer in A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Here's Dennis to sing, You Were Only Fooling. You were only fooling, but I was falling in love. It's a story as old as Adam and Eve. I was making love, but you were land of ours, there are three glorious American traditions shared by nearly every family, which have truly transformed America into the land of hope. They are freedom of speech, the right to vote, and the rich relative. Now, to our friend Mrs. Anderson, the last of these has always seemed the most important, since in the Anderson household, the right to vote is exercised but once a year, and freedom of speech is limited strictly to Mrs. Anderson. So we can understand her excitement this morning as she bursts in on her spouse, clutching a letter in her hand. Herbert! What's a passion flower? Look, this letter. Remember my dear, rich, sweet, darling, loaded Aunt Prunella with the two million dollars? Guess what? She passed away? No, she's feeling fine. Oh, my deepest sympathy. <laughs> Herbert, is that anything to say? You know I'm glad Aunt Prunella's well. I hope she lives to be 90. How old is she now? 89? No. Now listen. She writes she's going to be out this way. I haven't seen her in 25 years and she's never met you. You're going to wire her to come and live with us for as long as she likes. Live with us? But, Poopsie, you don't even like the woman. I've heard you say yourself that she's an old drip. Yes. But let's not forget what she's dripping with. <laughs> And this is our big chance to get into that will, but good. But, Poopsie, there isn't even any place for her to sleep. Unless you move Dennis out of his room and give her that. Are you crazy? I wouldn't give Dennis's room to a dog. <laughs> She's going to sleep in your room, and you're going to sleep in Dennis's room. <laughs> 
young hero, of course, is at this point blissfully unaware of his impending dispossession. We find him in his room looking at a newspaper as Mildred enters. Oh, hi, Mildred. Hi, Dennis. Going through the help wanted ads again? Oh, no. This is just a copy of my old high school paper. I saved it because my picture was on the front page. Oh, really? Let's see. Gosh, you look very handsome. Oh, sure. Cameras don't lie. <laughs> but all it says under the picture is, this is Dennis Day of the freshman class. Uh-huh. Well, gee, the fact that you were in the freshman class doesn't sound like front page news. It is when you've been in it for five years. <laughs> oh. And is your picture in all these other papers, too? Oh, no. I saved them because my sports articles are in them. I used to be a sports reporter for the paper. Honestly? Sure. I was really good, too. Listen to this. At two this afternoon, Hooperstown High and Jackson High clashed in the most vicious contest these old eyes have ever seen. It was man against man, heart versus heart, in a grim, bitter struggle which saw each player push himself beyond the limits of human endurance, regardless of consequences. I wrote that. Why, Dennis, that's wonderful. Well, it was a pretty exciting checker game. (laughs) Oh. Well, my goodness, Dennis, if you can write like that, why don't you try and get a job on the Weaverville Bugle? You mean with a real newspaper? Well, why not? Someday you might even have a column of your own. Give me one good reason why you couldn't be a Fulton Lewis Jr. Because his mother saw Fulton Lewis Sr. first. (laughs) Oh, silly, Mildred. Do you think a newspaper would really hire me? All you need is confidence in yourself. Go into that editor's office and tell him you're the greatest newspaper man in the world. The star reporter of all time. Why, golly, maybe you're right. I've seen enough newspaper men in the movies. I like just like one. I'll take a couple of sips of cleaning fluid, stagger in, and hiccup right in his face. And you say you'd like a job with my paper, young man. That's right, pal. Scoop Day is the name. Greatest reporter who ever lived. If it's stories you want, I'll dig them up for you. I see. So you're a leg man, eh? Uh, pardon? I said, so you're a leg man. Oh, no, sir. Even if I was, it wouldn't do me much good with the new look. <laughs> uh, you did say that, didn't you? <laughs> say what? Let it go. I couldn't possibly have heard right. <laughs> Well, uh, tell me about your experience, Mr. Day. Have you ever been on a daily sheet? Oh, no. We change ours only once a week. <laughs> you know something, Mr. Day? You're beginning to fascinate me. Really? Yes. Now, a good reporter should be well up on the world situation today. What have you to say on the subject of, say, uh, Russia? Russia? Yes. Uh, tell me about Russia. It gets very cold there. <laughs> Just the stuff our readers want. Uh, anything else on Russia? Well, just that it's good there is a Russia because there are so many Russians that if there weren't a Russia, where would they all go? Well, they don't call you scoops for nothing, do they? Now, uh, what do you know about Japan? Well, Japan is different from Russia. Isn't it, though? Yeah, it's much warmer and has fewer Russians. How few people have ever noticed that You're a sharp one, Scoop Oh, I just keep my eyes and ears open Yes, but I still get the feeling there must be a leak somewhere 
Oh, forget it. This is fun. I was going to ask you a question about the Berlin situation, but I know just what you'd say. That he's written better songs than anyone else in the business. Well, he has, hasn't he? He has indeed. And now, suppose we turn to politics for a while, huh? Well, I really don't know much about politics as I do about the farm stuff. Oh, come now. No modesty, Scoo. No, really. Why don't you try me on sports? Oh, please, Mr. Day. I'm conducting this interview, and I feel you'd be much funnier on politics. <laughs> now, uh, tell me, what do you think President Truman's chances are of being re-elected this November? Oh, uh, go on. You know very well he's been re-elected already. Why, Scoops, you shocked me. You knew that, huh? Certainly, and I know who lost, too. Dewey. <laughs> this is very disappointing. And I know why it's just as well he did lose. Huh? But maybe this is something. <laughs> uh, why? Because now he can go back and finish capturing Manila. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. You've rallied. When do I start work, huh? When? Hey, Mr. Day, I'm afraid I have a shock for you. You've given me the most enjoyable afternoon of my life, but I just can't see my way clear to putting you on the staff. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Uh, goodbye, Mr. Day. It's been awfully frightening to have met you. Wait, please. There must be something I can do on the paper. Some assignment I can... Oh, excuse me just a second. I'll be right back. Yes, sir? You the editor here. I got a complaint. My name is Homer Applegate, and I sent in a letter to the Lovelorn column two weeks ago, and I ain't had no answer. Oh, yes. Uh, well, you see, our advice to the Lovelorn editor left us a few weeks ago to go to Reno for a divorce. And, uh, we haven't been able to replace her yet. But I got a problem. I wrote in saying my initials are H.A., and I want to know what to do about my wife. How much longer do I have to go on living like a dog? Oh, now, I'm sure you're exaggerating, Mr. Applegate. Oh, I am, huh? Well, take a look at this sandwich she made for my lunch. My goodness, a spoonful of strong heart between two puppy biscuits. Yeah, I, I want an answer to that letter, you understand? Well, we'll do our best, Mr. Applegate, but you see, we haven't been able to find anyone with the weird type of mind necessary to... Wait a minute. It's warmer and has fewer Russians. <laughs> and Mr. Applegate, your answer will be in the paper tomorrow. You mean I won't have to live this kind of a life no more? It's a promise, and here's my paw on it. <laughs> and now excuse me, please. Yeah, okay, pal. Oh, you're still here. Yes, sir. Good. And my boy, I've interviewed you on foreign affairs and politics. Now I want to speak to you of love. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm already engaged. <laughs> No, but I think I have a job for you. How would you like to be head of your own department on my editorial staff? Boy, oh boy, with my own office? You bet. And on the door, it'll say in gilt letters, private, Miss Abigail Allen. Do you think I'm built right for a sign like that? <laughs> of course. You're going to be our advice to the Lovelorn editor. Oh, my gosh. Stay right here. I'll be back in a minute with a copy of what every young boy should know. <laughs> continue this day in the life of Dennis Day in a moment or two. Meanwhile, here's Dennis to sing his RCA Victor recording of I'd Love to Live in Loveland. Yeah. 
I'd love to live in love land with a girl like you. And every day a holiday with skies of baby blue, where roses bloom forever and sweethearts are always true. I'd love to live in love land with a girl like you, where roses bloom Our young hero is now Miss Abigail Allen in charge of the Lovelorn column on Weaverville's leading daily. But let's leave him for a moment and return to the Anderson house, from which a Western Union boy is now running madly away after delivering a telegram to Mrs. Anderson. You hear, Herbert? Aunt Cronella coming to see us. You hear, Herbert? Okay, please calm yourself. Don't get so head up. Who's head up? After all, kissing the Western Union boy that way. I can't help it. She's my favorite aunt and just loaded with my favorite stuff. <laughs> uh, the wire didn't say when she'd arrive, though, did it? No, just soon. That could... Well, come on, we've got to get busy moving you into Dennis's room and Dennis into the cellar. All right, Cockleshell. Incidentally, hmm? where's he been keeping himself? I've seen very little of him lately. Oh, I don't know. He has some mysterious job he won't tell anyone about. Just hints that he's making money by using his head. Really? Wonder if he made a deal for it with some medical school. <laughs> Gee, it was nice of you to ask me over to your office, Dennis. I think it's just beautiful. Oh, thanks, Mildred. Oh, I'm so proud of you. How do you like being Abigail Allen? Well, it's kind of confusing sometimes. I never know which room to use when I want to wash my hands. <laughs> oh, silly. But I may not have that problem much longer. The boss said he didn't like my first column yesterday and it would have to improve. That's really why I asked you to come over here. Oh? Well, maybe I can help. Uh, read me what you wrote yesterday that the boss didn't like. Okay. Here's the first letter I got. Dear Miss Abigail, a few years ago I met a man who told me he was all alone in the world, and I said so was I, so we got married. Then when he moved in, he presented me with seven kids by a previous marriage. It's not that I mind him lying, but we have very little room on account of the six kids I had. <laughs> now my problem is, his seven kids and my six kids are always beating up our four kids. What'll I do? Sign lonely. <laughs> Well, what did you tell her? Oh, I'll read it to you. Dear Lonely, I suggest you have five more children immediately. According to my editing machine, you now have 17 kids. Five more will give you 22 or enough for two football teams, which will keep the kids occupied. 
This will leave you and your husband free to raise another team to play the winner. That's what you wrote? Seems like pretty solid advice, doesn't it? Read another one. Okay, listen. Dear Miss Abigail, my initials are H.A., and my wife is leading me a dog's life. For 24 years, she has browbeat me something terrible. I want to be a man and have some respect around the house. Please advise me, signed, Bewildered. Oh, I hope... Janice, wait a minute. What were those initials again? H.A. And he says he's been married 24 years? Yeah. Janice, you don't think that... I mean, could that letter possibly be from Daddy? Your father? Well, his initials are H.A., and he's been married 24 years. Yeah, but this letter says his wife browbeats him, and his... Well, he says he wants to be a man, and your father's a... Gee, now I know how they can hang a man on circumstantial evidence. Dennis, it's got to be, Daddy. How did you answer it? Oh, I'll read it. Uh, Dear Bewildered, your wife's love has obviously cooled, and you must rekindle the flame by making her jealous. Hire some other woman to come into your home, on a strictly business basis, of course. And when your wife sees a strange woman sitting across the breakfast table from her every morning, she might get the idea that you have an outside interest. Well, thank heavens you advise something so ridiculous. He'll never do anything like that. You don't think so? I'm worried. Well, don't be. He knows if he ever did such a thing, it wouldn't only make Mother jealous. She'd break up their home. Yeah, all over him. <laughs> That's funny. Nobody home. I wonder where the folks went, Dennis. Gee, I don't know. Notice how clean the place looks, though? You you don't suppose your father's expecting company, do you? I told you not to worry about that silly advice you gave. Come on, let's go out in the kitchen and pick some hot chocolate. Okay, I'll have some rice crisp of mine. Oh, you answer it, Dennis. I'll be in the kitchen. Okay. Uh, yes? Oh, hello. I'm Brunella Wilkins. Of course, you couldn't possibly be Herbert Anderson at your age. Oh, no, ma'am. I won't even be him at his age. <laughs> I'm Dennis Day. I live here. Oh, well, I'm sure we'll get along fine when I move in. When you... you're moving in? Why, certainly. Herbert Anderson wired and asked me to live here. Holy smoke, so he is a joke. I beg your pardon. I, uh, excuse me a minute. I'll be right back. Have a seat. Mildred, Mildred, my advice. She's out there. The woman. Your father sent for her. Oh, I tell you, there's no fool like an old fool when he listens to a young fool. Dennis, are you serious? She's here, Mildred, ready to take up residence with two suitcases, probably full of seductive black lace red flannels to wear to breakfast. Dennis, we've got to get rid of her before Mother gets back. It's our only chance. Tell her something, anything, to get her out of here. Okay, I'll try. Sorry to have kept you waiting, ma'am. Oh, that's all right. Well, I'm rather tired. Do you happen to know where I'll be staying here? Uh, no, it's kind of hard to tell. The last one he invited is under the rose bush. There's two under the garage floor and a couple of them he just ran through the mixmaster. Uh, what? What did you say? Oh, didn't you know about Mr. Anderson's hobby? Why, no. What hobby? Oh, he's sort of an amateur butcher. Not the kind that cuts up steers or chickens. He kind of specializes. Specializes? Yeah, only people. <laughs> May I take your coat, please? Oh, young man, are you crazy? You know what you're saying. Don't believe me, huh? Didn't you notice the front lawn as you came in? What about it? You don't think grass ever got that green from Bigoro, do you? <laughs> May I 
think I could. No, you you must be mad. Why, Clara wouldn't. She couldn't marry a man who... Who do you think helps him with his work? Clara Anderson? Better known in undertaking circles as Crocom Good Clara, the Cleaver Kid. No. Yep, she cut them and he grazed them. No, I know you're crazy. And if you think I'd stay in this house another instant with a madman... Well, sorry to see you go, lady, but if that's the way you... Dennis, why have you got all the lights burnt? Aunt Trudy! What? Darling, you're here. Don't you come near me, Clara Anderson. Now that I see you in a strong light, this boy could be telling the truth. What? Why, Aunt Trunella, you... Uh... You keep away from me, too, you... You croaker, you! <laughs> me? I'm in the furniture business. <laughs> I won't stay in this house one single second. I might have known you'd turn out this way, Clara Anderson. Aunt Prunella, As a I... child, you used to pour ink into the goldfish bowl so the poor things couldn't see where they were swimming. <laughs> but I was the little... I'm getting out of here before I wind up a pot roast. Goodbye! <laughs> You know, Mrs. Anderson, it's possible I made some sort of a slight mistake. You. I might have known. What did you do? Come on, tell me. What did you do? Gosh, I didn't know she was your aunt, Mrs. Anderson. I just wanted to save your marriage because I'm Abigail Allen, and I saw the letter Mr. Anderson wrote, and I thought that Wait you... a second. Did you say the letter I wrote? Sure. Aren't you bewildered? That's putting it mildly. I don't know whether I'm... Well, I know what this one is doing. He's going. Now, wait, Mrs. Anderson. We can call her back and straighten the whole thing out. I told her there were bodies under the front lawn. Tomorrow she can dig up the lawn for herself, and naturally she won't find any bodies there. Oh, she won't. (laughs) All right, so one puny little body. Tuning in the orchestra, here's Dennis to sing the lovely ballad, Until. Heaven, joy for me. 
next week, tune in to another Dennis Day show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. again next week to Colgate's Hour of Fun, Judy Canova, followed by Dennis Day. And for another great comedy program, hear Blondie next Wednesday evening over your favorite NBC station. This is Burn Smith speaking. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dimension X, followed by Febra McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joe Shonwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Dimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.